Let's just pray a moment. Father God, as we come to think about your word, I thank you that your spirit is here among us. Will you open our eyes and our ears to hear what you want to say to us in this moment in our situation? And, um, yeah, may you speak through the words that I offer. Amen. When life gets difficult, a crisis hits. Things get out of control. Don't we all know that feeling? Well, <laughs> I know I do. Um, what can you do? How can you cope? Today's story talks about where we can go and what we can do when life is a struggle and things get tough. It begins with Jesus creating some space to be alone. He used his authority to insist on the disciples getting into the boat. It says he made them get in. That says to me there was a bit of resistance, but in the end they did as they were told <laughs> and off they went. Then Jesus dismissed the crowds. Having met their needs, he told them to go home and off they went. Once he was alone, what then did Jesus do? Matthew tells us he prayed. This particular day started with Jesus learning that his cousin John had just been murdered. John's death affected him personally. It also impacted his disciples, some of whom had spent some time following John before they followed Jesus. And it impacted on the community in which Jesus lived because John had had a big influence on many people's lives. That's how his day started. And the way he responded was to actually go off by himself to spend some time alone in prayer. Unfortunately for, day, for Jesus, that got interrupted when the crowds worked out where he was and followed him. But what he actually needed when he heard that dreadful news was to spend some time alone with his father. Prayer was key to everything Jesus did. It enabled him to respond in love to what was going on around him. It was how he dealt with his personal pain and worked through his next steps. Now, he could have handled that crowd in any number of ways. Maybe if it had been you or I, we would have just kind of ignored them and sent them off. The disciples were inclined at one stage to send them off. But Jesus said, no, I can see their need. And, I, and he reached out in compassion and he met their need. Perhaps he had to do that in order to get some time on his own. And he was able to respond the way he did because he regularly spent time in prayer with his Father in heaven. Prayer grounded Jesus in God's heart of love. It gave him the resilience he needed to keep going in a time of crisis. When the disciples brought Jesus five loaves and two fishes, his response was to pray. You may have remembered this from last week. And he prayed before he distributed it to the crowd. Through prayer, Jesus received God's power and then released it. Only through prayer. 
After abundantly meeting the crowd's needs for healing and for food, he then proactively made the time and space he'd actually needed right from the start of that day for in-depth prayer. I don't know about you, but um, when I'm at the end of a long day and I'm feeling pretty tired and whacked and like people have made demands on me, the last thing I actually really feel like doing is going away and spending time in prayer. I actually tend to come home, flop in the nearest comfortable chair, turn on the TV (laughs) and kind of switch off from the world. That's my go-to response generally. But it wasn't Jesus' go-to response. And that's a challenge for me, but it's also the example that you and I can follow. Grieving, tired and exhausted both physically and mentally, Jesus climbed a mountainside (laughs) to be with his father. There... In prayer, he opened himself up to the presence of God, whom he knew would meet and support him in his need. There in God's presence, in communion with his Father, the Spirit of God could enfold him. God could fill him with his power and renew his strength, comfort and reassure him. I've got signals. Okay. I'm getting instructions on how to speak into the microphone. Down here. (laughs) Okay. As Jesus' followers, prayer is also where our strength lies. It is the only way we can become resilient enough for the tasks that Jesus has given us and for the relationships in which we find ourselves. When we spend time alone in prayer, in God's presence, waiting on him, he renews our strength. He confirms his purpose in our lives. Psalm 62 verse 5 says this, Only God gives inward peace and I depend on him. God alone is the mighty rock that keeps me safe and he is the fortress where I feel secure. Trust God, my friends, and always tell him each one of your concerns for God is the place of our safety. I heard God say two things, the Psalms went on. I am powerful and I am very kind. The Lord rewards each of us according to what we do, Psalm says. So through prayer, Jesus tapped into the creative power and love of God and God rewarded him by releasing that power into everything he did. As we spend time in prayer, God can and will strengthen us with his power through his spirit in our inner being. Through prayer... We become rooted and established in God's love. When we do that, as Paul affirmed, we can, with, we can have power with, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. What a promise available in prayer. In the same way that he rewarded Jesus, as we spend time in prayer, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. Another thing I want to 
draw attention to from this passage is that following Jesus means accepting his authority and being obedient to the tasks he has given us. As already mentioned, Jesus gave the disciples a task to go and get in the boat to the other side of the, the lake. The rest of the story focuses on what happened when they obeyed him. Now, to begin with, things went well, didn't they? Many of the disciples were seasoned fishermen. They'd sailed this lake many times before they knew it, and they made good progress. They were well on their way to the other side until they hit a problem. And what a problem it was. Matthew tells us their boat was buffeted by the waves. It was battered and it was tossed around by high winds and heavy seas so that instead of easily reaching the other side, they now spent hours and hours floundering in the middle of a lake. The story makes it clear that following Jesus does not guarantee an easy, smooth, comfortable ride all the time. So can you imagine it? It's dark. The clouds have come in and there's no light from the moon or stars. So it's pitch black. All the disciples are soaked to the skin. They've been saturated by these waves that keep hitting the boat. They're wet and they're cold and those waves just keep coming. All their mental and physical energy is focused on keeping that boat afloat while trying to get closer to shore. They're in survival mode. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in that situation. <laughs> Now, they must have been so tired with only adrenaline to keep them going. But they persevered. Now, you could say, well, what else were they going to do in the middle of the lake? <laughs> they were on their own. They were doing what he had told them to do, but he wasn't there to help them. Maybe you've experienced something like that. Maybe things are going on in your life at the moment where you feel like you're doing it on your own. And it's tough. I wonder if they said to themselves, we could really, or something like this, we really could do with Jesus' help right now. Why isn't he here when we need him most? But in his absence, what could they do? They had just had to keep on battling. Using their own resources and strength, doing the best they could to keep going. But was that their only option, really. Jesus had already empowered these guys to do incredible things in his name. They had been doing those things already. They understood what it was like to use the power of faith and prayer. For some time, he'd been encouraging and teaching them that in faith they can do anything and overcome any challenge. That promise is there for us too. But how often do you and me, like the disciples, find ourselves battling to keep going with the tasks that God has given us? How often do you and I keep drawing on our own strength and resources? In the heart of your challenges and life storms, how often do you feel like you're alone, that Jesus is absent, rather than trusting his power to help calm the storms? Was Jesus really missing in action as they struggled? Is he really missing in our lives when we struggle? 
Mark 6 verse 48 tells us that while Jesus was alone on land, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He saw them. Remember, it's pitch black. He's on a mountain. They're out to sea. They must have been in a little boat in big seas and he saw them in the dark. He knew exactly where they were, what they were going through, and he came to them. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. The wind and the waves can't stop him. They don't slow him down. He reaches them easily. So Jesus didn't leave his disciples struggling alone. And the wonderful thing is he never leaves us to struggle alone. Liz Campbell, in her devotion series, The Long Walk, makes this wonderful observation. When the water stands between Jesus and those whom he loves, he walks it. So they are not alone in this storm. When the water stands between Jesus and you, whom he loves... He walks it. He walks it. So you are not alone in your storm. He'll break all the rules to reach us. The religious rules, the social rules, the rules we create in desperate self-preservation. And sometimes even the rules he set himself. The fundamental laws of nature. Following Jesus means... Oops. Sorry, going the wrong way. Following Jesus means seeing with eyes of faith, of faith, not fear. Matthew tells us that when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Oh, it's a ghost, they cried. Probably not quite in that voice either. (laughs) I'm sure I can't imbue it with quite as much terror as I'm sure they felt. And I just want to make a couple of comments that are actually Liz Campbell's because I think she says it so beautifully. Our fears know that walking on the water just doesn't happen. Our fears tell us we are really alone and need to rely on our wits to strain at our oars to fight for our survival. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water... They made sense of what they saw in light of their past experience and what they knew. And it terrified them. Telling the story later, Matthew, with the benefit of a different kind of experience, reinterprets all of that. And he he talks about Jesus walking on the water like it's a matter of fact. At the time, though, he, along with the other disciples, was as terrified as they were. He'd seen Jesus do the impossible time and time again, the unexpected, the unbelievable, and it changed how he saw events as they unfolded in the present. Liz goes on to say, only an author has the authority to change a manuscript, to rewrite the words that lay everything out plain, to put in a plot twist no one sees coming. If you are the author of life, the forger of all that is real, the creator of all things, if you formed reality with your breath, with your word, can you not reform it? 
Jesus rewrites the manuscript around his love and power because that is the point of the manuscript in the first place, to manifest God's glory and to make him known. The fact is, though, that Jesus isn't the only one who rewrites stories. If we're honest, we often reinterpret what we experience in the present in terms of what we've known from our past. We use what we've previously learnt to make sense of what is and isn't real. These days, Liz shared, there are days when my vision has been skewed by my past, whole seasons when I haven't seen the world as it is at all, but as my eyes were, as I was. Fearful, lost, confused, down. When all I could hear was my drumming heart and all I could feel was the whir in the pit of my stomach. When hope corroded day after day, blow after blow. Perhaps you can relate to that yourselves. We humans, we edit our perceptions with our fears and feelings. We reinterpret reality around our scars. And then we live in this faulty manuscript rather than the reality just above our skin. We feel to see and so often fail to see clearly. Let me repeat that. We feel to see and so often fail to see clearly. In what way do your past experiences colour what you see and hear right now? In what ways does your story affect how you trust or not God's goodness and what he's doing in your life? The storm was real. The waves were real. The winds were real. Jesus walking on the waves was real. But their eyes, their fear, rewrote reality so they could not see him. They didn't see hope coming to join them in the storm. Their scarred, scared view of reality transformed what was real into what was not. They saw a ghost, not God. Their expectations altered all they saw into a lie. They felt to see and so failed to see God coming to them, to save them. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. What does it say? Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. God speaks these words. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Into every time and space and generation. If you read the Bible, which is God's story, the story of God in relationship with his people, he speaks those words to the people he loves time and time again. On multiple occasions, Jesus, God in human form, spoke those words to his disciples. He continues to speak those words to us, into our situations, into our time and space, 
Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Matthew's story is a lesson in faith. It is a lesson in how we see our life circumstances. We have a choice. Are we going to be overwhelmed by what's happening around us? Or are we going to look with eyes of faith? Realising that Jesus is always with us and he is Lord over all the earth. This brings me to another point, one of my other points. What do we do about what Jesus called little faith and doubt? Three of the four Gospels talk about Jesus walking on the water, but only Matthew talks about what happened with Peter. And I'm really glad he did. I don't know about you, but during my Christian walk, I've often struggled with doubt. Even though I believe in God, I still find myself doubting. Um, I find myself questioning whether he really does care about me and how God actually might be working through me. There have been many times, on the other hand, when I've believed that I'm doing what God wants me to do and, where I, and I'm being where he wants me to be. I feel inspired and enthusiastic and I get excited because I do believe that with God anything is possible. And then something goes wrong or somebody criticises and I start to second-guess myself. I start to question whether or not I'm, it was ever really part of God's plan at all, whether God's really part of it, whether it was only ever about me and what I wanted. When, Jesus, when Peter heard Jesus say, it's I, don't be afraid, he heard his voice and that in that moment he caught a glimpse of impossible possibilities. And he responded by focusing on him and calling out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. He wasn't expressing doubt in that moment. He was expressing confidence in Jesus' powerful presence and that with him anything is possible. And when Jesus gave him permission to come, he acted on that confidence. He stepped out of the boat straight into the fears that triggered him. Because his eyes were on Jesus and he trusted Jesus' power. I want to just share with you something that happened to me in November of last year when I went rafting down the Franklin River. I had, if you like, a walking on water moment. <laughs> um, I have vertigo and I really hate clambering over rocks. They scare me something silly and I'm not very good at it. And I knew when I went down the Franklin I was going to have to cope with heights and I was going to have to clamber over rocks. Second day in, I found myself on a narrow ledge if I stepped backwards, I would have stepped into a rapid that was too dangerous for the raft to go down with us in it. Straight in front of me, literally in front of my face, was a boulder that was vertical and higher than I was. And um, I can't... My fears kicked in big time. <laughs> All I saw was this rock face, nothing else, and, the sa and I, all I heard was the sound of the water behind me. And my mind went blank. My heart started pounding. And my breath became ragged. And over and over I was saying in, to myself, I can't do this. 
I can't do this. I can't do this. And, it's get, and I'm getting more and more worked up and, I, and completely unable to think. I can, and then my sister Heather, who was with us, comes over and she put her arm around me and quietly she said into my ear, Anne, just breathe. Now, that didn't really impact me too much, I have to say. But then the next thing she did, actually did, she said, Jesus is holding you, Anne. He's got you. You can do this. And it cut through. It cut through. And she kept saying it over and over again. And Jesus has got you. You can do this. He's holding you. You can do this. And when that penetrated, my mind cleared. And I saw the hands of my brother and my brother-in-law reaching out to help me up and over that vertical face. And I heard them telling me where I could put my feet, where I hadn't been able to hear it before. And I got up and over that rock. And then there were more that I had to get up and over. And I kept hearing my sister say, Jesus has got you. He's holding you. You can do this. And the words of a song from childhood came to me. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow, step by step. And every step I took, <laughs> my Lord knows the way. My Lord knows the way. <laughs> He's got me. <laughs> that was my walking on water moment. It was the only way I got through it. That's how Peter started out. His eyes were on Jesus. And then he got distracted. And I'd been a bit distracted until my sister reminded me where to put my eyes. He focused on the realities associated with the storm instead of the reality of Jesus' power and presence. And so he started to sink. His little amount of faith was a faith that panicked when in a crisis. That's what his little faith was. Similarly, there are moments when we are of little faith when we panic in a crisis. When we have a moment of practical hesitation, when the reality of the wind and the waves or whatever it is that's going on in our lives overwhelms the reality of Jesus' call to come. That's what doubt is, moments of practical hesitation. When we see those external realities, a stormy world without God's presence. Peter saw the wind and felt his smallness, his frailty, his weakness and his fear. But even though Peter took his eyes off Jesus, what I love about this story is that Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. In the, he knew the moment Peter got distracted. He knew what triggered his panic and when it kicked in. Eyes on Peter, he kept coming to Peter. He kept closing the distance. So that when Peter worked out what was going on and that he was sinking and called out, Lord, help me, where was Jesus? He was right there. Yeah, immediately he reached out his hand and pulled him up because his eyes never got off him, never left him. And Peter did get it right, didn't he? Even as he sank, even as his lungs filled with water, there in desperation he called on the one person who could sustain him. 
Keep him breathing. Keep his feet steady on the path. Ah, Jesus never takes his eyes off those he loves, and he loves us. He's always right there with us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're experiencing. As with Peter, when we ask Jesus to sustain us, he immediately reaches out his hand and lifts us up. And after Jesus helped Peter up, the wind and the waves are still high and fierce and they're still battling and and, um, battering that boat. And in that battering, they manage to get into that boat together. And only then did the wind calm down and things got quiet. And that is, of course, when the disciples in the boat worshipped Jesus as the Son of God. As with Peter, we all have moments and we can doubt, but we can also pray and ask Jesus to help us, and he will. He always will. Not only that, he will help us back into the boat and get us back on track with the tasks that are ours to do. Psalm 107 talks about faith's reality when storms hit. You were tossed to the sky and to the ocean depths until things looked so bad that you lost your courage. You staggered like drunkards and gave up all hope. You were in serious trouble. But you prayed to the Lord and he rescued you. He made the storm stop and the sea be quiet. You were happy because of this and he brought you to the port where you wanted to go. It's when we fail to see, we fail to see God with us. Being a follower of Jesus involves just one strategy. Keep your eyes on him, then walk. In that order. Just that. Keep your eyes on him, then walk. Everything else is drowning eventually. Faith, Liz says, is seeing God's presence with us in our storm. Faith is seeing, despite the storm, God at work in the circumstances around us. Faith is seeing that there is a bigger story at work than our human eyes can see. We do not need to fear. We do not need to lose hope, no matter how difficult our circumstances or how overwhelming are the surrounding realities against which we struggle. Why? Because God is real and Jesus is present. With us, we are not alone. I am not alone. You are not alone. So here's my question, and I finish with this. Where are your eyes? What do you see?